I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. At this point in time, I really appreciate the opportunity that was given to me to clear the record and to tell the truth. And I look forward to tomorrow to being able to, in my voice, to tell the American people my story. And I'm going to let the American people decide exactly who's telling the truth. Hey, Michael Cohen. Do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. Whatever else you think of Gates, the congressman, he's not in charge of the Justice Department. The president is in charge of the Justice Department and has threatened Cohn's father-in-law with prosecution. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So I just saw a bunch of Instagram shots of Elizabeth Holmes, the former owner and CEO of Theranos, that fraud, blood-drawing company that swindled everyone and endangered people and is possibly worse than Bernie Madoff. Holmes has been charged with 11 criminal felony counts, including wire fraud and conspiracy, and she may be facing considerable jail time. But while she's between engagements, Holmes is living it up in Instagram filters, swanning around with a new boyfriend at sports games and costume balls. And at one point, she's on a private plane with some awesome, well-heeled girlfriends and then at a yoga retreat and generally looking like life is golden. Hashtag blessed. And then, of course, recently indicted Roger Stone is also living it up on Instagram by threatening the judge in his case and then pretending to insouciance about everything. On Felonstagram, though, one bad guy is conspicuously absent. He's Michael Cohen, the president's fixer. Lackey. His Smithers. Yes, sir. No, sir. Right away, sir. Somebody up there loves me, Smithers. Somebody down here loves you, too, sir. Cohen has showed down with Mueller's team, with the Southern District of New York, with Congress, and with the media. And where he used to threaten reporters with violence, now he's endorsing Michelle Obama and passing the hat for his own legal defense fund. He's not showing up on Instagram shirtless or doing yoga with green juice and champagne. This is his Michael Cohen truth, go fund me. On July 2nd, 2018, Michael Cohen declared his independence from Donald Trump and his commitment to tell the truth. On August 21st, Michael Cohen made the decision to take legal responsibility and continue his commitment to tell the truth. Michael decided to put his family and his country first, and now Michael needs your help. The Michael Cohen Truth Fund is a transparent trust account with all donations going to help Michael Cohen and his family as he goes forward on his journey to tell the truth about Donald Trump. Tomorrow, that journey takes Cohen before the House Oversight Committee. The committee's trying to disinfect this mess with as much sunlight as congressional hearings can bring. Cohen spoke to the Senate Intelligence Committee behind closed doors today. Tomorrow, he's on TV talking to oversight. I spoke to someone who's familiar with Cohen's earlier testimony to the special counsel, and he said if Cohen tells the committee what he told Mueller's team, all hell will break loose. So for any citizen, 
waiting for a Mueller report to tell us what to think, tomorrow's testimony is a chance to see for yourself what to think. Did Trump direct Cohen to pay off porn stars? Did Trump direct Cohen to lie about his Moscow deals? What happened with the inaugural committee taking money from foreign nationals and having it go up in smoke? Cohen's testimony could put in plain sight some of the key details of Trump's alleged criminality. Wait, not alleged. Evident criminality. My guest today to set the stage for Cohen's testimony tomorrow is Ellie Honig. He's a Trumpcast favorite, a CNN legal analyst, and former prosecutor for the Southern District of New York. He has flipped many a low-level mobster in his day, and he has some great ideas of what the House Oversight Committee should ask Michael Cohen. I'll be back with Ellie in just a minute. Hello, this is Michael Cohen, attorney at law. I know exactly who you are, and I know exactly what you do. Uh, I can't talk right now. I'm on my way to testify to Congress. Do not even think about going to where I know you're planning on going. And that's my warning for today. Hold on. Is this me calling me? You can't intimidate me. You can't be me. That's not true. It's true. You don't even know what I'm going to talk about today. You're talking about Donald Trump. That's right. I'm going to tell the real story today. Today will be the day that you will regret. I know where you're going with this stupid story. And I know what you're planning on doing. I don't listen to you anymore. I used to be tight with Donald. You know, we were practically married. You can't rape your spouse. Whoa. I'm just going to go in there and tell the truth. You cannot rape your spouse. Stop saying that. Donald is a criminal. You know that. Putting all of that aside. You can't put it aside, other Michael. He's a narcissist. He can't do anything without thinking about his own image, and he's constantly reacting to things... Emotionally. Exactly. Emotionally, with no regard for facts. All I can say to you is you better tread so lightly on your story, because I know where you're going with it. Don't threaten me, motherfucker. Mark my words for it. I will make sure that you and I meet one day while we're in the courthouse. And I will take you for every penny you still don't have. Jesus, I know you're me from the past, but you must realize this guy is rotten. You must have a view. I have no views because there's no story. Hey, we're going to jail for this guy. That can be nothing compared to what I do to you. Look, let's discuss it after I testify. I'm more than happy to discuss it with your attorney and with your legal counsel because mother you're going to need it. Joining me on the fly and via somewhat staticky Skype is Ellie Honig. He's a CNN legal analyst and former prosecutor for the Southern District of New York. Ellie, welcome back to Trumpcast. Thank you for having me back. This is my fourth time. I keep track and I take pride in every one of my appearances. <laughs> I love having you here. And right now you're in particular demand, not just on Trumpcast, but because you're a real student of Michael Cohen, a coverer of, as he describes himself, Trump's dirty deeds. And we all know that he is going to testify before the House Oversight Committee tomorrow. And you say that this has the political intrigue of a John Grisham novel. <laughs> so first of all, I want to take exception to being classified as a scholar of Michael Cohen. <laughs> I thought you I, missed I something that. more high-minded than that. Yes, <laughs> um, a man of the law. What I would say I'm expert on is cooperating witnesses yeah. right? and the sort of dynamic and back and forth that happens anytime cooperating witnesses are on the stand. That was a huge part of what I did as a prosecutor, particularly coming from prosecuting the mafia world, where this is how you build your cases. You turn people who came up together, who were committing crimes together, who sometimes knew each other since they were children against one another. And there's an art to that and a science to it, I guess. So that's what I sort of am able, I think, to bring to this analysis. So it look, it's going to be fascinating when Cohen takes 
takes the stand tomorrow. The stakes are going to be incredibly high. In a normal criminal trial, the sort of dramatic high point and usually pivotal point in terms of the jury is when the cooperator takes the stand and testifies against his former boss, his former partner, what have you. And we're going to see that this week. And on top of that, unlike a federal criminal trial, we're going to have no rules of evidence, no rules of procedure, no judge, no jury. It's going to be really wild west. I think you're just saying it's going to be lit. You just want to say lit. Just say I lit. actually do. I, <laughs> I use that term now. My kids taught it to me and it, it, it's a great term. I, I, I defend the use of lit. <laughs> OK, we're going to go with it. So when you say this no criminal procedure, no judge, no jury, no rules of evidence, have you had a cooperating witness also testify before Congress in any of your past cases? Good question. No, I haven't. No. Tell me what the difference is. It's going to be much different. I mean, first of all, you're going to have these weird five minute increments, right? And it's hard for anyone to dig in and either really develop a line of questioning, whether you're trying to bring something out or cross-examine him. It's really hard to do that in five minutes. I mean, we saw Matthew Whitaker like stalling out the clock on, remember, every, every question he was asked, he would say, Thank you for your question, Senator. I respect you. Be like, just yeah. get to it. Yeah. So um, it's a different format than I've ever had to deal with. What are the upsides? What would feel like shackles off if you were in a congressional hearing and you were one of the senators or congresspeople that would not inhibit you or that would free you up? Having no rules of evidence, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think they're all going to do, they're politicians. Let's remember, they're not there as prosecutors and defense lawyers. So they're all trying to sort of make a political calculus tomorrow. And I think what we're going to see is quite predictable. I think the Republicans are just going to attack Michael Cohen the way that any defense lawyer attacks any cooperating witness, mm-hmm. which is he's a scoundrel, he's a liar, he's a proven criminal. Nobody should ever believe him, throw everything he says out the door. And we already saw that this morning from Sarah Sanders, who mm-hmm. said, Why would anyone even waste time with him? He's a proven liar. I think it would be much more credible for anybody to say, let's see what he says. Let's evaluate his testimony. At least go through the motions of letting him testify and then say he's a scoundrel. Yeah. Um, The Democrats have a little bit of a trickier balance, I think. And if I was advising the Democrats, I would say, you don't have to embrace this guy. You don't have to make him out like he's some sort of saint or good person or Mm -hmm. truly reformed person. It all comes down to, can he be believed, right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of breaks down across a couple lines. First of all, what are his incentives now? Does he have any incentive to lie? He certainly has incentive to tell the truth. He's still trying to impress the government. I think he's still trying to get them to go back and file for more sentencing relief, which there is a procedural way to do that. Mm. And he's made a clean break from Trump. And the other piece that's going to be so important is corroboration. There's been reporting out there that he's going to bring documents with him, perhaps. And if he does, if he has tapes, if he has documents, then that's the stuff that really even the biggest cynic can't undermine that. To this question of making him out to look like a scoundrel, that's something you mm-hmm. have a lot of experience with with these cooperating witnesses. Say they're sure. you know, a low-level drug dealer and they're giving up a high-level drug dealer and they probably have mm-hmm. some other traffic offenses or domestic abuse or whatever that seems to impugn their credibility, but that is made sense yeah. of in the life. And I think that you say the same is true of Cohen, but Cohen's also Trump's lawyer. So he's right. not the low-level drug dealer. He's the person whose communications we expected and they certainly expected we'd be protected by attorney-client privilege, who also says his job, and it seems to all appearances that his job was covering Trump's dirty deeds. So the lies he's mm-hmm. told were lies on Trump's behalf. In other words, yeah. they're a lying syndicate together. Yeah, so a couple important points there. People say, well, how about attorney-client privilege? Aren't your conversations with your attorney privilege? Ordinarily, yes, but not if you're discussing crimes. It's called the crime fraud exception. So okay. if Cohen talks about 
the way they got together and made hush money payments, which he's already admitted was a crime. He pled guilty to that. Then the privilege does not apply. But you're right. Look, one thing I have a lot of experience doing is resting a case on worse than scoundrels. I've rested entire trials on admitted multiple murderers. Hmm. And the way you have to deal with that is you have to embrace it, right? You have to stand up in front of the jury and say, they say he's a scoundrel. They say he's a convicted criminal. You're darn right. And you know it because he's now admitted it. He's now pled guilty to it. And by the way, I didn't choose this guy. Donald Trump chose him or whoever chose him to be his lawyer. And so to sort of reprise the old jury days. And so Mm -hmm. members of the jury, it's not about whether you like Michael Cohen. You don't need to like Michael Cohen. You probably shouldn't like Michael Cohen. It's about if you believe him and if he's backed up. And so if if I'm the Democrats, I know there's this sort of inherent urge to want to defend him and say, now he's a good person and now he's reformed. Who cares? Yeah. You don't have to rehabilitate the guy. You're not a social worker. You just have to make sure that what he says is reliable and can be backed up. Now, have you ever flipped a lawyer or had an attorney as your cooperating witness? Yes. I mean, that, okay, tell me about that. It's extra complicated because there are conversations that they had that are privileged, right? Even if they had over the years, a hundred different conversations that had to do with crimes, they probably had a a thousand others that had nothing to do with crimes. Mm -hmm. So usually what you have to do is set up what we call a wall team. So that means another attorney who's not part of the case who has to sort of review the information before it gets to you as the prosecutor on the case and make sure it's not privileged. It's burdensome. You have to be careful. You get into some gray areas. We're pretty reluctant as prosecutors to cooperate lawyers because it's just overall dicey. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've done it and it can be quite profitable. I guess not not financially, (laughs) but you can get a lot of valuable information. Yeah. So when Cohen's office was raided, and that's when I first began to understand this thing of creating the wall you describe, there was some strange term for it. Some group had to oversee the documents and devices that they'd gotten to see if they were immaculate or something. Tell me what that process was. So, yeah, there's different terminology for that. They call it a wall. They call it a taint team to make sure that that there's no taint that gets over to the prosecutor on the case. So basically the idea is there are going to be privileged materials in this, let's just say, in this big box of documents that we grab. Yeah. And the prosecutors on the case are not allowed to see it. Otherwise, they will be tainted and potentially have to be removed from the case. So we're going to get another prosecutor who has nothing to do with this case. And she's going to go through the documents and look at them and say, this is privileged. So the guys on the team cannot see it or this Mm -hmm. is not privileged. So you may see. Okay, got it. So the House Oversight Committee has its work cut out for it, and you make some points about what Republicans might ask. They might try to impugn his credibility. I don't think they have a great case to make, except to say that he's a lying liar who lied for the president. So why should we believe him when he says he lied for the president? But the Democrats have a bit more room. And in the CNN piece, you proposed five questions that they should strongly consider asking. And I think you're right. Let's go through those. Sure. We know that Cohen made these hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal before the 2016 election about their past sexual relationships with him or to conceal those. And you want to know who, if anyone else, was involved in those hush money payments. Is that just a roundabout way of saying how much did the president authorize this? Tell us about individual ones (laughs) orders. Or are you thinking that there's someone else involved? I think it's a direct way of saying that. This is the clearest example we know of right now of a crime that Michael Cohen committed. He pled guilty to it. And he remember, he directly implicated the president yes. during his plea proceeding. He said, I forget the exact terminology, but for and at the direction of individual one. And then, and this is important, 
DOJ, my former office, the Southern District of New York, signed on to that. They, in their sentencing filing, sort of confirmed that that was their belief and that was their information. So I would ask Michael Cohen, tell us chapter and verse on the president's involvement in this, but also other people. This was not just a Donald Trump, Michael Cohen operation. If you look back at the plea documents, there's executive one in the Trump org. Who could that be? We don't know. Executive two in the Trump org. I mean, it's a pretty closely held organization who were involved in authorizing the checks and in sort of cooking books to pay back Michael Cohen. Mm -hmm. So I want to know everyone. This is what we do as prosecutors. We say we got all day. I mean, I guess they don't have all day when they quiz him in Congress, but let's get to the bottom of this. I would start there. Do you have any guesses about executive one and two? Well, here's what we know, right? I guess I won't name names, but we know that there are two executives of the Trump org who are in position to cut checks. Mm -hmm. And we know that the Trump org has a fairly small, closed group of people who would have been in that position, which includes, I believe, the kids, Trump's kids. Yeah. So that's where the John Gresham part comes in or part of the John Gresham part. Yeah. I should say that minutes before we got on the phone The Post and other places reported that Michael Cohen has been disbarred. I know that's going to come as a big surprise (laughs) to everyone. You say he should be asked about the possible subornation of perjury or something that Trump might have done. And the way you phrase the question, before you, Michael Cohen, gave false testimony to the Senate about the Trump Tower Moscow project. To remind listeners, that testimony was he misstated or he lied about when the talks about Trump Tower Moscow stopped. He said that they stopped well before they did indeed stop. Now we know that he lied. Now, did you, Michael Cohen, discuss or coordinate your false testimony with anyone else? That's your question for him. So subordination is such an interesting and confusing question to me because usually it's lawyers telling their clients to lie, and that's a disbarring offense. But now (laughs) we have a client, Trump, possibly directing Cohen to give false testimony. See, that's a good, that's like a Grisham-like twist. Yeah. Yeah, but look, it could be any two people, any number of people. Anyone who encourages another person, instructs another person to lie, is guilty of suborning perjury and being an accomplice to false statements and obstructing justice. So, yeah, look, we're, we're going to finally get an answer to that BuzzFeed mystery. Yes, right? because exactly. You remember BuzzFeed back in, I think it was February, January, reported that Cohen had told Mueller that Donald Trump directly told him to lie to the Senate about the Trump Moscow project. And then Mueller issued the very rare, essentially, rebuttal of that. Mueller, it was a little bit imprecise, but it said the story is not accurate. But here's what we do know. Again, if you dig through the Cohen documents, he did not lie by himself on his own as sort of a lone wolf. The documents Mm -hmm. say that he went through a process of preparing and vetting, I forget the exact terminology, but preparing and circulating, I think it was, his responses before he went out there and testified. So who was part of this process? Who looked at your responses. Who was part of preparing and circulating? Did they know it was false? Did you work it out with other people? My instincts are telling me that there were absolutely other people involved in this. This was sort of a coordinated effort for Cohen and perhaps others to lie to Congress. Was the president directly involved? We don't know. Boy, that's going to be interesting to find out. And this is not lying about payments to Stormy Daniels. This is lying about a piece of a quid pro quo with the Kremlin, possibly. I mean, not to just stretch out into the true Carrie Matheson strings across the bulletin board kind of thing. But it's false testimony of the Senate about the Trump Tower Moscow project. Now, if that had ended Mm -hmm. a long time before the election, then it's unlikely or less likely that Trump would Yeah, be- the timing's so important because the story that they were putting out there, all the people around Trump, was that this petered out by January of 2016, which is, of course, right before the Iowa caucus kicks in and right before the, the campaign hits full swing. 
In reality, we now know it was going on well into June and reports have been even later. But Cohen pled guilty to June, by which point Trump was the presumptive nominee. He had been on the campaign trail saying nothing to do with Russia, nothing to do with Russia. So that's why it's such an important lie that Cohen told. And that's also why I think it wasn't just Cohen deciding to do this on his own. I would guess we're going to find out it was part of a larger effort. But Cohen can't just be asked any question tomorrow. The House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, in charge of that, has put some limitations on what Congress can ask him. Isn't that right? Yeah, I saw Representative Cummings' list of topics. Uh, but I'll tell you what, any lawyer who's, who's worth two cents can take any question in the world and shoehorn it to fit in one of those categories. One of the categories is the truth or falsity of any public statements that Trump has made. Well, Trump's spoken on everything. And so you take any question you want, and you say, well, no, I'm, I'm testing the truth or falsity of Trump's statement. He spoke about this. So I don't really think there's going to be any meaningful limit on what the representatives can ask Michael Cohen. And there's going to be nobody there to police this. There's no judge who would say objection sustained or anything like that. I don't know if they're there. Look, it's possible there's attorneys for Trump sitting there saying we object to that. It's privileged. Mm-hmm. So it's Wild West. There's no rules and they're going to play it by ear. So let's go on to the next question. Did the Trump yes. inaugural committee, oh, we all love that inaugural committee, accept money from foreign contributors? Foreign contributors? Why would these people ever <laughs> accept money from foreign contributors or commit other crimes? So what does Cohen know about inauguration fraud and bribery and whatever else there is? So now we're getting a little bit into what attorneys call a fishing expedition. We don't know specifically that Cohen committed a crime here, like with the first two topics, but there's good reason to think he would have some information. One of the recordings that Michael Cohen made was with an individual who was part of the inaugural committee. So I would want to ask Cohen, this is a bit more of an open-ended question, but was the inaugural committee taking contributions from foreign nationals? Were they being funneled through third parties, through what, what we call straw donors? I would poke around a little bit here. There's an awful lot of smoke. Southern District certainly is is poking around there. They've served a subpoena. So I would use this as a little bit of a fact-gathering opportunity through Cohen. You say he spoke to someone on the committee and made a recording of that. That was Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, who is Melania Trump's great friend, and they call her advisor. She's a sort of fashion world person who, to her credit, has put on events like the Met Gala, and she was supposed to put on a big, splashy inauguration Why did Cohen record his phone call with her? Great question. When I'd ask Michael Cohen, I suspect he thought or had some reason to think that she was going to say something incriminating either to herself or somebody else. I can't imagine another reason for him doing that. And I would, by the way, one of the things I would like to know from Cohen is tell us all the different people you recorded and how many times. And I want those recordings if I'm Mueller or the Southern District or Congress. I mean, if this is going to be true high drama, maybe he'll play some of those MP3s. Oh, yeah. If he does, he needs to do it on an old fashioned tape recorder with a cassette. Oh, gosh. Reel to reel. It has to look full Watergate. Yeah. Yeah. No, because it's not that dramatic to hit play on some compressed file on computer. He's got to hit eject and the thing's got to pop up and then he's got to put his cassette in and hit rewind and then hit play. Let's have a little bit of stagecraft here, please. Exactly. And I want them to sound like Nixon and Haldeman, too. (laughs) (laughs) It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
So you also want to know if Trump or anyone else talked to Cohen about the possibility of a pardon. This is one that confuses me. Is it illegal to ask for a pardon? It depends who you ask. I think it is. Okay. So there's two sort of legal schools of thought on this. The first one is this, the idea of the unitary executive, which is people like Brett Kavanaugh and Whitaker and Barr have all written about in various ways. The idea there is, well, the president has the constitutional authority to pardon. Hence, he can pardon anyone for any reason, and there could be no criminal consequences against him. I disagree. Look, this is an unknown question. But I think if you pardon somebody with the purpose or intent to prevent them from talking to the government, Mm -hmm. that is obstruction of justice. If you took other measures to prevent somebody from talking to the government, that clearly would be obstruction of justice. And the example I use is what if a president put out a tweet saying pardons available for sale, $25,000 each, make checks payable to me. Right. How could that not be bribery? Yes. Okay. Okay. People who have this strong unitary view, you, you think that the president can do anything with the executive power, with the pardon power. How about that? Are you okay with that? And I don't see how they can answer with a straight face that that's okay, the bribery scenario. So by the same logic, I do think it should be obstruction of justice to offer a pardon if the intent is to shut the person up. Got it. Right. So this is a sort of open-ended question about did he ever talk to you about the possibility of pardon in the context of influencing your testimony, but you'd want him to sort of, yeah, if that was held out as an asset, a thing of value that Cohen might do something in exchange for. I mean, I don't know. I sort of feel like Trump, right after the raid of Cohen's office, he just went white. He just seemed so terrified. And he didn't seem to think he could get out of this one, where with Flynn and Manafort, with whom he did discuss pardons, according to the New York Times reporting last week, he took their side for so much longer. Yeah, and this is why I want to ask Cohen specifically about the pardon possibility, because the president's been fairly open and notorious about dangling pardons, right, through his tweets. He tweeted out, oh, man, Ford, he's so hard done by when Stone wouldn't talk. He said Stone showed real guts in tweets. But you're right, he's handled Cohen a little differently. And so I wonder if there's been some perhaps quieter, more subtle back channel approach to Cohen, where maybe a lawyer for the president, maybe a friend of a lawyer for the president said, maybe to a friend of a friend of Cohen, hey, you know, if Michael does the right thing here, we can uh, we can take care of him down the line. So I would definitely want to probe that. Well, I think your first four questions you held out asking about your former employer (laughs) and what should I call it? Religion, (laughs) SDNY. But the last question you ask, why did Michael Cohen, why Michael Cohen, did you refuse to answer from the questions from the SDNI or which questions did you refuse to answer during your attempted cooperation? People think these might be questions about his father-in-law's business. I mean, as you suggest in the beginning, cooperating witnesses are not squeaky clean choir boys or bar mitzvah boys. You know, (laughs) they often have their own sticky criminal ties and Michael Cohen certainly does. And there's been some speculation that Cohen in some kind of game theory, is thinking the worst thing that can happen is I have to give up my wife's family or I drag my whole family down with me because of my bad decisions. Is that what you're getting at here? So this one's a bit of a trick question because when he tried to cooperate with the Southern District of New York, Southern District objected to his cooperation. They said, what he did give us, we found to be credible. They do say that in their memo, but they say, but we rejected him because he didn't do it our way, Southern District way. I know, right? So out of character for us Southern District people. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Well, we understand our own arrogance, but Southern District cooperators (laughs) have to tell everything. You may be right, Virginia, that he may have been trying to protect his family members, because I've seen that scenario. Mob guys sometimes, they're willing to give up the boss, the captain, the hitman, you name it, 
but they don't want to give up something that their uncle did or their father-in-law did for, I think, obvious reasons, for family-based reasons. And I used to tell cooperators when I got a little bit better at this, what you don't want is a cooperator to lie to you in the proffer room, in the room where you're interviewing them. Because mm-hmm. if they do lie to you in the proffer room, then you have to turn over the fact that they lied to you to the defense lawyer. And mm. it just hurts their credibility that much more. Mm-hmm. And so after I did this for a little bit, I started telling cooperators, listen, I understand sometimes there's things you may not want to tell me. Obviously, you can never falsely implicate anybody in anything. If that happens, this is over. And I've never seen that happen. But it's quite common for people to try to hold back something. And mm-hmm. usually it's for a family reason. And so I would tell them, if I ask you a question and, and you don't want to give me the answer for some personal reason, don't lie. Just tell me I'd like to discuss that with my lawyer. And then we can work through it. So that's sort of a cleaner way to do it. Look, if the answer is, yeah, it was questions about my family that I didn't care to answer then and I don't care to answer now, fine then we'll know who he was protecting and why. It could be something more explosive, maybe not, but that one sticks in my head as something I would like to know the answer to. Yeah, the same confusion hovers around Manafort that why did he keep rhyming and getting himself in deeper and deeper? What is he so afraid of? It seems that Cohen, who has cited his family, has his chief reason for breaking with Trump. You know, Mm -hmm. that they need to have him back. And for what it's worth, there's discussions of his wife and he were living separately. So I can imagine my spouse saying, you've gotten us into all this trouble. The one thing you can't do is blow up my father's life and business. Yeah, completely understandable. I've seen it happen, like I said, and there's ways you can work around it. I've said, like, look, if there's something you don't want to tell me about, let's say your father-in-law, fine, don't lie. Don't make up that he had nothing to do with it. Just say that's a question I'd rather not answer. And either we can let him answer and immunize the father-in-law or just agree to sort of not go there. But look, that's a very common motivation of cooperators. And the loyalty question is so important. It used to make me nuts when mob guys would come up for their sentencing and the family would, and the lawyers would talk about, oh, he's so dedicated to his children and his family. Mm -hmm. And please judge, don't sentence him that long. It's sort of interesting to hear him now profess to be a family man when he could have absolutely taken care of his family himself by cooperating, but instead he remained loyal to the mob, didn't cooperate, went to trial and lost or, or pled guilty without cooperation. But he had, a, he had a perfect opportunity to protect his family, but he stayed loyal to the mob. So Cohen has made the opposite decision, the decision that most or all cooperators make, which is I'm done with these guys. I'm going to protect myself and my family here. It is somewhat interesting also, since you've dealt with the Italian mafia, that he's not bound by family ties to his partners in crime, Donald Trump, the Trump children, or even by religious ties. I mean, all the things that hold long mafia with stamina together over generations, they don't have. In fact, that always confused me. You know, I knew people who grew up with him in Lawrence on Long Island and say that Cohen was at synagogue every week and, you know, <laughs> but not why would he embrace a life of crime because people of all religions do that all the time, but just why would he sign right. his life over to Donald Trump, who's just the yeah. worst view of a blasphemous Gentile, not kosher in the extreme. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on the Jewish Gentile stuff, <laughs> but I will say this. The ideas of loyalty and turning on one another, that is by no means unique to the Italian mafia. I think you see that in any organized group that gets in trouble. I mean, the example I I use sometimes is when I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team Mm -hmm. and a bunch of kids got in trouble for stealing sneakers and things out of the lockers when we we would go on visiting meets. And what did you see that exact dynamic? Who's going to, who's going to hold the line? Who's going to flip? Who's going to talk to the principal? Who's going to deny it? So it's almost like natural part of the human condition when you're part of an organization and things go bad, who's going to hold the line and who's going to turn? 
Yeah. It's one of the things that interested me in doing mafia work to begin with, but it's by no means unique to the Italian mafia. I mean, I did all manner of organized crime, not just Italian, and you would see it in that context. And, and the religiosity question is interesting too, right? Because a very common thing you see at sentencing is people saying, well, he's a devout member of fill-in whatever denomination, whatever religion. I'm never moved by that. I don't think judges are moved by that. It almost makes it worse. Right? The hypocrisy of it. Yeah. If you're in church, synagogue. We've mosque, all seen whatever, the baptism whatever. scene in The Godfather. We know that undercover right. religion, all kinds of bad things happen. Right. The hypocrisy is so is so obvious that I never felt like that was much of a strong argument at sentencing. And Cohen is seeing his family loyalties maybe as somewhat other than just humanizing him, but more like he has another crime racket to protect, more dirty deeds to cover for. It's possible. We don't we don't really know, but that that could be. Yeah. You know what? I feel like I've never really talked about something that's sort of analogous to this. And I wonder if you saw in Fire and Fury. Did you read Michael Wolf's book? Yes, I did. So do you remember that right around the time they're discussing whether to fire James Comey, Charlie Kushner gets involved and says, you need to get the FBI off my back. Yeah, it rings a bell. I mean, Charlie Kushner has a long history with law enforcement as well. Yes. Convicted by Chris Christie. Yes. The U.S. Attorney's Office years ago. Sure. And that becomes, in Michael Wolff's telling, and, you know, that and a token will get us on the subway, but in Michael Wolff's telling, Charlie Kushner was similar to this, that there's another father-in-law somewhere who has a lot to lose. And he says, they're going to look into my real estate dealings and I can't go back to prison. I mean, he's the one that, you know, has been to prison and really doesn't want to go back. It just reminds me here of Cohen that, you know, there's this intimate real estate bound taxi medallions scene of people in New York that connect to Trump and the Russian mafia and Felix Sater. Well, I take Michael Cohen with a grain of salt, but I take Michael Wolf with with a mountain of salt (laughs) as well. I mean, that... The reporting in that book was a mess. You couldn't even tell what he was attributing directly to people or yes. forthhand or whatever. But the question that you asked about why would Cohen hitch his wagon to Donald Trump yes. is an interesting one because when they connected, I don't think there was any inkling 10 years ago of Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. No. He was just a rich guy in New York City. And I think one of the theories, and if you've read Chris Christie's book, he makes this argument, is that you had a bunch of people who never expected and never were prepared to land at the seat of power for the the United States and the world, all of a sudden thrust into those roles. And that's why you saw people who were wildly unqualified and unequipped to handle the power. Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, suddenly thrust into these positions and they don't know how to handle it right. And they end up doing things (laughs) that end up being obviously criminal, lying to the FBI, obstructing justice, trying to get around the foreign lobbying requirements, you name it, because they were just overmatched by what fate threw at them. Yeah. And still using the techniques of buy off or phase out, block out law enforcement and do these kind of mafia things and bully people on Twitter and scare people this way and that. I don't know if we're at the end of it. Right. Although some people are saying that tomorrow could be really explosive. This is the president's personal lawyer who's one of the key figures in all this. So I don't think we're near the end of it, even if whatever it is. Yeah. It's been widely reported that Mueller's wrapping up and and will send his report to the attorney general somewhat soon. And I think that could well be the case. But let's even assume Mueller just today hung out a shingle saying close for business. There's still so much out there, right? Various people still need to be sentenced. Manafort, Gates, Michael Flynn. You have Roger Stone, who was just indicted and may well go to trial. And if you think this is a circus, just wait until Roger Stone's trial. Yeah. You have subpoena battles. There was just a ruling today from the, the Federal Court of Appeals on one of the subpoena battles that are still going on. You have various pieces of the case that 
Mueller already has peeled off and sent to the Southern District and to other components of DOJ. You have Congress really just getting started. And so there's going to be so much more happening. And Southern District, my old office is apparently just getting ramped up on the inauguration and on the Trump org. And you have your state attorneys general. So there's so much more to come on this. It does seem like the Trump catastrophe has been renewed for, uh, it looks like, 10 more bingeable seasons. (laughs) (laughs) My guest has been Ellie Honig, CNN legal analyst and former prosecutor for the Southern District of New York. Ellie, thanks. Thank you very much, Virginia. It was a pleasure. My daughter loves her Slate t-shirt, so feel free to send another one. Good, 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 good. (laughs) And that's it for today's show. Tell us what you think. You think my Smithers impersonation was off? I can handle it. I can take the criticism. And you can't beat a thoughtful tweet to tell us your views. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. Oh, and hey, one more thing. Sign up for Slate Plus. You just got to. $35 for the first year. That's not even pennies a day. Is it pennies a day? Gets you all of Slate's podcasts ad-free, an evolving roster of ever-enticing perks. And most importantly, you're supporting our tireless work at Slate. Go to slate.com slash trumpcast plus. That's slate.com slash trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. Steve Waltine performed today's sketch, and I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.